Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Hoop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Hey, school, we got this thing, man, called Halftime that we want to do with you, man. We, AJ and I going to hit you with some quick hitters. And my first one for you is, man, you got one of the coldest nicknames in the game. How do you get the nickname Scoop? Okay. And it's funny we're talking on this day because that's literally when I got the name. Um, like, my birthday's tomorrow, right? And I was born okay. the day after JFK was assassinated. I told y'all that my father was a newspaper reporter, right? Right. Mm-hmm. My mother's brother, my uncle, was joking with joking with my father in the you know in the hospital when my mom was in labor, right? Mm-hmm. And my uncle literally said, "Nigga, the news that you have in the sons is gonna be bigger than Kennedy getting shot." <laughs> that was the joke he told. What? He said, he said, "Yeah, he said, boy, you have a son that news gonna scoop Kennedy." That's it. They applied it right that's, there. That's going to be Just his name. like that. That's it. Right there. So, <laughs> so it's Robert wow. Scoop, Arthur Jackson III, because I gave, gave my grandfather's name. But Scoop is official. And as I was a kid, you know, they like to cheating up names. So it was, they, they changed it from Scoop to Scoopy. They put a Y on there. Oh. Really, really, cats that really, really know me from, like, way, way back. Like, right. way back. They still call me Scoopy. My wife still calls me Scoopy. We came up together. So she's known me since I was in first grade. Wow. wow. He calls me Scoopy. And Kat and I school back in the day, like when we, you know, when we started before we even got married and you know we're together, people would call the crib, and be like, yo, do you speak to Scoopy? She's like, Yeah, whoever this is, this nigga know you a long time here. <laughs> so, so, so let me get this straight. You saying Scoop is part of your whole name. Yeah, yeah, it's it's official. It's on your birth certificate. They 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 <laughs> <laughs> It's on your birth certificate. It's, wait, but you got to understand the family I come from. My father thought his name was Bobby until he was like 40 years old. What? At least, I think it was, he maybe said 35. He was a grown, grown ass man. <laughs> he always, he didn't know his name was Robert. What? He his name was Bobby. <laughs> So, so in essence, you a junior then. I am a junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. No, my father thought his name was Robert. His name is on his birth certificate is Bobby because it's Bobby. It's Bobby. He thought his name was Robert, but he always called him Bobby. But he thought his real name was Robert. <laughs> it's Bobby because his mother, after she had him, they said, "What do you want to name the baby?" And she was still out of it. She said. Name name after his daddy. And they called his dad Bobby. Bobby. So that's what the hospital put on his birth certificate was Bobby. And it took my father, he tells the story. He's like, I was like four years old till I realized that <laughs> my name is not Robert. So to your point, I am literally a junior. My my if I if he knows by the line, I'm not named after my father, because my father's name on his birth certificate is Bobby. So I come from that family. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I come from that family. But here's the funny thing. You know, after my father told us that story, and he told us that story, we didn't find this out until like maybe 10 years ago, right? Yeah. He, he was he was here. He came to Chicago visiting. We sitting at the table drinking. 
and he tells us the story. And me, my god brother, my wife, my god brothers, my god sister, his wife, we sitting around and we laughing our ass off. And my father's telling the story, and we were laughing our ass off. So you know, since then. We call my father King Bobby Knot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. He's a King Bobby. <laughs> Bobby Knot. You know, King Bobby, what up? <laughs> right, 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 right. Hey, what's your... I'm over that family, so we, you know, we do birth certificates and names <laughs> a little bit different in this family over here. The, the different, oh I get God. it, I get it. You know, we all got them different birth certificates anyway. So, oh, that's another Chicago thing. We ain't gonna talk yeah. about that. Like, look, 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 Like, we got, my wife and I got two kids. And both of our kids are named after us. We named one Robert and the other Tracy. Uh, Tracy. Guess what? We ain't have no more kids. That's it. <laughs> we ain't have <laughs> so that's it. That's it. Names, right? <laughs> We're done. I love it. I love it. Hey, what's your favorite form of journalism? Writing, radio. No, writing, 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 and long, and long form writing, unless it's in the hands of a master, you know. But okay. I'm a big believer in long form writing because there, there, there's a certain art to that, man. And you mm. know, having done it, knowing the thought process, um, there, you know, knowing the ability to take stories and narratives in so many different directions, the uh, challenge it takes as a writer to be able to hold people's interests. Mm -hmm. And also this rare, this rare thing you very rarely hear writers talk about, but it's a lot of us live through it. And I know I live through it a lot is finding that rhythm mm. that mm. everybody goes through when they're reading something, but nobody thinks about Cause when you read, you find there's a pattern that keeps you there. Yeah. 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 Anytime I said, all right, you know, what makes you turn the page? It's that rhythm. You know, what makes you continue going on is that rhythm. And as a writer, as a creator, finding that rhythm while you're doing it, that is going to make somebody stay there and stay with what you're doing. There, there's nothing in film. There's nothing in radio. There's, you know, no disrespect to sound as a media uh, platform. Mm -hmm. But um, there, there's something about writing. And, 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 and also, as far as I'm concerned, you know, nothing against talking. I think talking is fine. Yeah. There are some people who are artists at talking and at speaking, but you don't need to be one in order to speak. I think you have to be an artist. And mm. with writing being the second most used form of communication we have as human beings, I think there's something to be said about the art of that that doesn't exist in other forms of communication. As I was saying earlier, uh, going back to what Dr. Kidd said, Everything, if not most things we do in society, builds off of writing, starts with writing. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Every most ideas, most design, you know, most concepts, you know, if we're being honest, damn near every religion. Yeah. And if a religion that we have globally, damn near every global religion we have, it may not start with writing, but it's documented through that. It's those words that are documented, and the teachings of all religions come through writing. Yep. So there's something powerful about writing that transcends just, you know, forms of journalism to me. It's, it's, it's more of a, of a sacred art as far as I'm concerned. And that's why I hold it in such high esteem. Okay. Yeah, so it's always going to be right. And I think it's the most challenging, too. And I've always been one, like, if that's the greatest challenge, then that's what I'm going to take. You know, because no disrespect right. to other cats that do other forms of media. I know it's difficult to get on TV or whatever to talk every day. You know, come up with concepts, speak on stuff, this and the other. But you know, we kind of, we kind of have to talk. So it's yeah. just a matter of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You'll have to come with a certain skill set in order to speak. Now you have to have a certain skill set in order to hold people's attention, like we're talking right now. Yeah. But trying to do that on a regular basis and craft a story is different. It's different. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's, so, there's a greater challenge there to me, and I've always leaned towards whatever the greater challenge is. So right. Yeah. So scoop. Just my quick hitter for you. Now, now you best known for 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 crossing these for crossing these th three things together: sports, sneakers, and hip hop. You know, you 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 you. Is there any other topic that you like writing on that that we don't know? It's it's music. I'm a 
you know, music is still, and no, no disrespect to basketball or sneakers, you know, and even though y'all consider hip hop, you know, it, it, it is music, but hip hop is cultural as well. It's not just, you know, hip hop is not just music. So right. That's why I specify music and all forms of music, you know, um, whether it be jazz, whether it be soul, whether it, you know, R&B. Yeah, R&B, you know, whether it, you know, whether, whether it be hip hop, you know, whether mm. it be house, which is so integral, you know, and to me, one of the most important forms of music we have that goes overlooked, but it, it still has its tentacles and is the foundation somewhat even folk music. Yeah. Is you know we, we talking about and we in Chicago you know stepping yeah. music you know all the, music is still probably the most important um, uh, to me. Okay. You know as much as I love and have written about basketball, it's always been me. I started off in music. You know um, I was able to do things mm-hmm. from a music standpoint. Um, you know wrote my books on music, wrote my masters. Wrote my- if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac. Or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. You wrote my thesis and journal from Howard University on music. Mm. It's always music. And then after that, um, there's always politics, because like I said, I still got a political science, you know, degree. And I'm still Background. interested in all forms of politics. And I'm still interested in the science of politics. Mm. So, I, you know, when given opportunities, I love to dive into that because I, I still have that in my blood. Um, and then just us, man, it's, it's, you know, just I think us as a people, you know, I mm. think the most important thing that I enjoy writing about the most. And I try to always inject, not always inject it, but inject it where I feel is necessary. Mm-hmm. I feel it's missed is just us as black folks, you know, yeah. and, and, to, and to, you know, find a way to normalize us and humanize us and be unapologetic about who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ever the opportunity comes up to, you know, um, put ourselves and who we are into a story, even if the story is not necessarily all about us. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's, those are the things that outside of the three pillars that you mentioned there, you know, my own personal pillars, the gun to the head moment, like you got to choose one that you you know you gotta lose everything else you gotta choose one mm-hmm. to write about right probably gonna be us i'd rather write about black life and our black lives okay you know being black yeah. is, the, is, is the umbrella it's the umbrella it's, yeah it's, it's, it's the like arms that. that wrap all of this around you know a black yeah. life wrapped around all that and there's you know uh there's always that that thing in me part of my responsibility and purpose is to speak our truths in a way that make us feel that we should never be ashamed or feel like we have to apologize for who we are. Right. You know, and that's more important than hip hop. That's more important than sneakers. That's more important than basketball. That's more important than anything else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So at the end of the day, that's, you know, if I had to choose one, that's what I, you know, hang my hat and my shoes on. That's so real there too, man. Man, thank you for that. But you are a sneakerhead. We ain't going to take that away either, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely OG in the game, no doubt about that. Well, give me your five top kicks, and is there a pair of sneakers you out there you still trying to get? Um, there's always a pair you're trying to get your hands on. That that never stops because they keep creating. You know, sneaker game is like being in a mafia. You know, you kind of step out and they keep you know just pulling you back in. You know. Like, like, you know, why Jordan released the cool grave with the ice, you know, with the with the ice bottoms? Like, why you do that? Like, you know, I, I don't need it. I don't need. I don't even need to see this. Y'all are wrong for that. <laughs> you know, why? Why a Mamieri? You know, Manieri is dropping the Jordan ones. You know, the way they dropped the Jordan threes early this year. Like, why y'all doing that? With the snake skin and the old yellow. You know why? You know why you doing that? You know so. Um, yeah, there's always some shoes that you always are going to want. Um, I, I can't think of a single shoe that I don't. Yeah, there, there's too many. I can't think of one historically that I don't have that I've chased. But as much as a shoe head I am, I'm, I try not to be a, a chaser like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, give us your five favorites. Five? Well, I'll give you the, I can't give you specific iterations. Because okay. Because it gets too technical, but I can give you certain, certain silhouettes. Yeah. Uh, right. Jordan three is still my top. It's my grill. Thank you, sir. Thank my you. Jordan three is it. That's just it. 
after that, uh, there's a tie between two and three, and they can flip between what it's the original Air Max one and the mm. original Jordan one. You okay. Know, the Jordan one and Air Max one to go hand in hand because it's always interesting that uh, somebody asked a question, and it wasn't this question, which I love mm. this question, but mm. to me, the deeper question is, and somebody asked me this, my nephews and my sons and I were sitting around talking in New York one time, and it wasn't like, what's, what's your what's the greatest shoe ever? What's your favorite shoe ever? It was, if you had one shoe that you could wear for the rest of your life, just one. Damn. Right, which one would that be? And I was like, damn. <laughs> I, can, I was like, I couldn't choose between the Jordan one and the Air Max one. Cause I'm like, I can, okay. but the problem is I can't hoop in an Air Max one. Right. <laughs> and I ain't hooping like I used to, but I can't run. And there's certain style things, you know, Jordan wanted to get you with a little styling, but you might want a good running shoe, you know, the little, yeah. you know, so I'm like, I can't choose between them, but those two silhouettes I can deal with. Right. And I'm good without anything else. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of a harder question because that's still not my favorite shoe. That's still not what I feel is the greatest shoe, but that's the one I can live with. Because okay. you can't stick me in a Jordan 3 for the rest of my life. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm going to be searching for something else. Right, right, right. You need, like, a Jordan 1 or Air Max 1, and I can, like, still do all type of different things with it, mm-hmm. but just that's it. I'm good. Those are 2 and 3, and then I'm trying to think 4 and 5. What are my shoes for? for probably um, probably the original Shell Adidas Superstar. Mm, okay. It's such a classic. Yeah, it's such a yeah. classic. Classic, classic, classic shoe. Yeah. Um, and we're strictly talking sneakers, right? Strictly talking yep. sneakers. Like, I, was, I, was gonna, I was gonna throw the legendary Timberland Wee boot up in there, but. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> strictly talking sneakers. Yes, sneakers. <laughs> and then after the Adidas, probably the uh, Converse All Star Pro Leather, the one Dr. J used to wear, you made famous. Oh, okay. With the, it, where they had the, um, the leather toe. Where, yeah, I mean, all of the shoe with the little... The whole, uh, right. The whole shoe was leather. The whole shoe was leather, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Dr. James. Okay. It's called the yeah, Dr. The one, the, one, the one, yeah, the Dr. Yep, the Dr. Yep, the Dr. Yep, the, the Converse Dr. James. Those, okay. those, those are my five. Because, I, you know, I like, I like classic stuff. And the one thing we learned with now with all the collaborations going on, that you can really give classic, classic sneaks a breath of fresh air. Yeah. With new designs, new iterations, new styles, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they gain new life. You can't do that with some of the new stuff. I got three quick hitters. Give us your top five rappers of all time. Who's the best Chicago rapper? And give us some of your favorite beat makers. Top five rappers of all time. Uh-oh. Kendrick Lamar, number one. Damn! Rakim, number two. Ooh, ooh. Um, KRS one number three. Damn, old school. The teacher. Probably Biggie number four. Oh, big. And then I I've had a hard time doing this throughout my whole life, and I really can't do it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a whole life. Yeah, no, because I because I can't split between five and six because I take their skill sets, and this one of the situations we say you can't like. You can't compare errors. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at errors and what they did and what they meant to the errors that they were in. They, they, they're equal and they're like splitting the atom. Right. And that's Jay-Z and LL Cool J. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I, I go with that. Yeah, you're right. Basically, Jay-Z, before, and he meant the same thing. And they spit game was to say, you know, they were just as good. The only thing is that Jay wasn't as good as a battle rapper as LL was because he's too chill. He's too laid back. He doesn't bring that intensity. And yeah, L yeah. had a way to bring intensity. But L couldn't, he could put rhymes together, but he couldn't weave stories the way Jay can. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they, right. but if you really look at their careers and look at them from a skill set as far as MCs, they're really right there with one another. So to me, they're, I can't, you know, I can't say one's five and six, they, they're, they're both, they're, they're equal. So okay. those are my five. Uh, top ever Chicago rapper. Yeah. It's an easy answer. Right. Because of what he's done, um, and that's calm. Rashid is, you know, if, if you look at the body of work and look at how, in the way he held down Chicago, 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When nobody else was and gave and gave room for everybody else. Yeah. You know, from the Vic Misses to the Kanye's to the Lupe's to all the yeah. other cats to find space mm-hmm. coming in this space, how he held it down. Um, you know, and then hearing like what he's been able, what he's still able to do. You know, you listen to his his freestyle, he can still spit. Look, yeah. What that what my man did to me to introduce the all-star game here. Yeah, it was powerful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like you don't like that. And look, his, I was with dude the day before. Really? Like, yeah. I'm like, how the hell are you out kicking it? I'm at the crib memorizing every word like two days before they're trying to get this locked down. I'm right. like, dude, you, you, you got a whole nother gift. <laughs> <laughs> He did that. He's came. I don't know anybody in the city who got that body of work and can still do this. You know, like you know, like LeBron performing 19 years in, he still got that longevity. So he's mm-hmm. he's top of the food chain as far as Chicago MCs. Beat makers, uh, how many did you want? How many did you ask for? Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Uh, just give me about two or three. Uh, Beatmakers is easy. Uh, Primo is number one. Okay. Yeah, Primo's number one. That I mean, I can I can stop right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Primo's number one, and I'm a DJ guy. Okay. Primo, as far as beats are concerned, but the one thing that Primo has over a lot of these other dudes, right? Let me go back to listen to what he did with Gangstar. Is his scratching becomes the chorus, and his scratching is a whole nother instrument, and he's such a technician. The way he breaks down his scratches to the very lowest syllable what he's a surgeon with it so it's not just the beast that he was able to come up with from doing stuff with Karis one to doing stuff with mop doing stuff with gangstar to all yeah. all the stuff that primo has done but it's his technique as far as not just a beat maker but his djing and the skill that he brings to the table in mm-hmm. that the tweets that he can scratch and how he you know look yeah I just like take it personal, but go back and listen to Take It Personal by Gangstar. And on the last chorus, mm-hmm. how he just he, he takes the first syllable of the word take and uses that as the chorus. Wow. Ta- ta- and then he pulls back on it. Personal. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> he said. He adds right. an extra element. And it, it's 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 phenomenal. Um, so yeah. he's at the top, and I I, I don't want to shame on my man because I think he is a genius. Yeah, I, I love Gangstar. Rest in peace, Gangstar, man. Yeah, ain't no doubt about that. But yeah. I, I I you know, look, I, I will say I'm not a fan, but I'm 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 always about giving dudes their respect. Mm-hmm. Kanye a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye a motherfucker. If you look at what he's able, you look into the the music he's able to do as far as making beats, you know, you can't sleep on or disrespect. I think the conversation about like who's the best in doing this, and I'm including the Timberlands, I'm including the Dr. Dre's, because Dre is on some other shit too. Yeah. I'd be remiss. And probably at the end of the day, I think Dre is probably the greatest producer we're ever going to see in this in, in this genre, you know, called hip hop. There's, there's no mm. question about it. But I personally like Primo. You asked from a mm. beat 
beat-making standpoint. Yeah. But I think having any discussion about beat-makers and producers in this genre and not having Kanye in a conversation is disrespectful to the genre. Because yeah. of all the cats that we're talking about, I think he probably has the most range. Mm. Like, you listen to his songs and listen what he does, there's not a signature Kanye sound. Recently, he's kind of been getting into sounding similar, but if you go back five years ago... Oh, yeah, it's totally... It was all over the place. Like, where is this cat coming with this imagination yep. to give these different sounds to? Yeah. I mean, you, you even heard it on his joint when he, when he dropped the college dropout. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, you even heard it on there. Yeah. yeah. Go go back to College Dropout and listen to the first seven songs of College Dropout and how none of them sound the same, but yeah. every one of them joints are like... Radio bangers. Yes. But they bangers... Just the Jesus Walk beat alone. <laughs> he said the Jesus Walk beat alone. You're right. How hard that beat is. Jeez. Now you take that and this same cat, listen to how different College Dropout sounds from 808 Heartbreak to Beautiful Fantasy. Mm -hmm. Like, you cannot sit up here and say that the same dude produced all three of those. All three of those. Now, once again, we giving Primo a lot of love, but you can go through a game <laughs> album and know, all right, that's Primo. Yep. They're off the bat. You can go through all the Justin Timberlake stuff. It's like, you know, even though it's as much range as Timberland has, that's still Timberland. Like, you can go through Aaliyah stuff. You can go yeah. through Missy stuff. You know that Timberland groove. Yeah. All right, we got that. <laughs> you know, we could go through Scott Scorch's stuff. We could go through all the stuff done by Native Tongue, where, whether it be Ali Shaheed or Q-Tip or whoever. We can go through what? Marley Maul, who I think is one of the greatest ones ever. Marley Maul, look, from the symphony to Mama Said Knock You Out with LL. We can go through all that. I forgot DMX guy name. What's his name? Oh, uh, ah. He tough, too. Yeah, he tough too. The the, the one uh, Alicia Keys' husband. Yeah, uh, uh, the Swiss Beats. Thank you. Swiss Beats. Swiss Beats. Swiss Beats is full. Well, we can go to some Night Wonder stuff. We can go to some. Speaking of Swiss Beats, we can go to Just Blaze. Just Blaze is ridiculous. Yeah. But we're talking top, top, top. We can't have a conversation without Ye in it. Without Ye in it. As much as I'm pissed at Ye right now in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wait, y'all don't even get it. Man. He said, y'all, he said, y'all. He said, what's this on piss? Y'all read that hat, what'd he say? Make Kanye black again, you stupid. This is I am in Kanye in my life. I got to give that dude his props in this cut. To answer your question, it's hard. You can say whoever it is you feel is your top. Right. you can't, look, if, I'll put it this way. If Kanye ain't in your top three conversation, mm -hmm. then something wrong. Something wrong. Hit him with the last one, Will. Man, out of all the people you done interviewed, is there anybody you haven't interviewed yet that you want to interview, whether it's sports, hip-hop, whatever? Um, I, You know who my answer used to be with that question? Who that? Was Barack. Really? I would have thought, I would have, I would have thought you have talked to him already, like even privately. Last, last time I talked to him, and we know each other. Yeah. So the last time I talked to him was in a Starbucks on 55th Street, maybe. And this okay. is during his president, during his run for president. I haven't talked to him like face to face in a while. Mm. Uh, but everybody at Starbucks got mad because we were chopping it up. We hadn't seen each other, you know, in a long time. And I got another, like, I told y'all to hold on because you asked a story about my mother. I got another story real quick about that, and it involved Barack. <laughs> but we spent the whole time and he spent the whole time just us chopping it up at Starbucks everybody's mad at me because I hogged up the whole time for him coming to Starbucks to getting something uh, I just ain't seen him in a long time you know, <laughs> right, right. just like other patrons that was in the Starbucks wanted to talk to him and they felt because yeah, it wasn't like he was doing that on a regular basis right you know what I'm saying because at that time he had just gotten secret service security because he had just announced it was early in the game how you knew that? How you knew they was mad at your school? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. I'm surprised they let me back up in the Starbucks. I'm like, what? <laughs> they were mad, dude. But the only reason I say Barack used to be my answer is because 
I wanted to interview him while he was in office mm. to talk to him about what his next move was going to be after that, because I always felt that what he was going to do once he got out of office was going to be more important than what he did in office. Mm. And I've always looked at Barack as not as a politician, okay, as more of an activist, but it's a small activist. You know, not 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 mm. one of those rah rah. You know, I'm out here with you know, picking and riding. It's just right. he's always been about some form of quiet activism, and mm. now that he had a platform, a real true platform to stand on, what was that going to look like once he stepped out of office, coming Step back of into to real life with this position behind him? What type of activism was he going to do? Yeah. You know, he was a community organizer, so that, that's fine. But with being a community organizer, now that you have a platform and a community organization is your core, mm-hmm. which for him it really is. He's not a politician. But in order right. to gain power in America, you have to have politics behind you. Yeah. yeah and yeah. in order to be the activist that, you know, is able to make real impact. Yeah, real change. Not sectionalized impact. Right. Real impact. Mm-hmm. But when you're in mm-hmm. politics, especially a, an elected official on the national stage, you become unsectionalized. Mm-hmm. And Barack is one of the few individuals we had because he was elected to a national, to the highest national office we have in this country. Right. He could take that activism that he came into the game with that got him into politics and used that on a platform that nobody else in this black space has been able to do. Has been able to do. That's why I wanted to interview him to be like, all right, what's your next step going to be once you get out of here? Only reason I won't do it now because we're watching whatever he does, he does. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of answering what the interview would have been. And if I had interviewed him back then while he was... Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In office, mm-hmm. what he's doing now may be different than the answer he gives. Right. Mm-hmm. But it still would have been mm-hmm. interesting to see where his head was at during that time when he knew, you know, I'm going to be out of here, you know, either the next, you know, whenever he knew he's going to be out. Right. I would have loved to see where his mind was at. At that time, and that's the one interview I would have loved to have done is to talk to him, you know, at that time in his life, not about being in that game, but what was where his mind was going to be next and what he felt the responsibility he had to Bernardi he had in his office. Yeah, because I I, I do believe that. Um, and I love, I, I, you know, I love Barack, you know, but I do believe that he didn't prepare himself. And I don't think anybody can especially being black, because we've never been in the position he was in. And yeah. I don't think there's anything he could have done to prepare himself for the responsibility he stepped out of office into. Running the country was probably easier than what he stepped into in black people all over looking for you as now you yeah. don't have the chains on you. Now you really got to save us. Your story's so amazing, man. I'm just like, like I'm on, I'm on this high overload because... <laughs> I want to ask you about your professional career, but truthfully, man, I just I just want to keep it where it's at because with journalism and racism and man, I like how are you navigating those things? I, I would say preparation, you know, but it, but it it but preparation not in the way that you know you go through something to make sure you're ready for it. My thing in preparation is that know it exists, and as 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 we've gone through this brief journey of my early life, you you see how the people that raised me built me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was, you, you, you deal with it because you know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know it's coming. If, if you look at our people and what we've overcome, and that's the one thing I have a problem with us is that we, we tend to, we always talk this black shit, but we always tend to forget while we're talking this black shit, the strength of our history. Yep. So if you never lose sight of what we've been through, 
There's nothing. There's nothing they can do to us compared to what they did to us. Mm-hmm. So how do you do it? It's easy because you know what we come through. You know, you know not only what we come through, you know what we're built for. Yeah. I am no different. And I'm no different because I, I, I look at this. I know what runs through me. I know what I've been taught. I know who raised me. Yeah. And there's a certain way to go through that. Now, yep. what comes with that, in my mind, Will, to answer your question, is that, and I tell my sons this all the time, the one thing I try to always do is build a professional resume that doesn't have any holes in it. Mm. And the reason I try to do that is because that's what I know in this country from us they're looking for. They're looking for. Yeah. They're looking for holes. They're looking for the smallest amount of holes that will be anything to discredit us, to bring us down. Mm-hmm. You know, just break us down to our last common denominator to stop things from happening. Whatever you want, however you want to say it. They're looking for those holes. And my thing was to make sure from a professional standpoint, and this starts right. way back in college, mm-hmm. I have any holes in my resume. I'm coming through this and, and you know, I'm, I'm wrong because I proved myself wrong and it didn't work out that way. But to answer your question, I come through this. It took me longer to get out of undergrad than it should have. But there was reasons behind it. We didn't have any money. I had to drop out. I changed majors. So that put me back a year. And then mm-hmm. they added another half a semester on because of that bullshit mm-hmm. I told you I was going to do. Mm-hmm. It took me five and a half to get through four. But there was mm-hmm. a situation circumstance. It wasn't my triflingness. But right. the holes, once again, I filled that hole up by I'm the one, as I told you, that got the money back together to pay for my debt and pay for the next two years. Mm. Me. So I paid for my last two years of school to finish school. My money. Mm-hmm. Right? I paid for my own grad school. I did. That money came from me. I took a loan out the first year. And, and between, it wasn't a full loan because I didn't pay the full tuition. I told you I've right. always worked. Right. Always so you worked. working three jobs. <laughs> right. I've always, I've always even, even doing the school thing, I'm still working, right? So use the loan the first time and, and pay for that. And as I'm paying, keep in mind, in grad school, there's rent to be paid too. Yeah. So I'm paying for school and rent. The second year got lucky because Howard gave me a, a, a scholarship. Because I wouldn't mm. be able to do it twice. I, I had enough money to get me through one year and mm-hmm. was blessed enough that scholarships that they give the PhD students, they gave okay. to me and my roommate as uh, 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 master's degree students. Mm. And that, that allowed us to finish our second year at Howard. So I got lucky. Wow. I had to work for it. So in my mind, I still paid for it. You, you know what I'm saying? It's still money right. that came out of right. I still paid. So I paid for my last two years of that. Paid for my, you know, for, for grad school. So all this is coming out of my pocket. So I'm self-sustaining my own education financially. Mm. Now, keep in mind, like I said, I'm still working all this time. Resume with no holes. And the one thing you all notice, too, when you're trying to go out here in this marketplace and try to find either a job or start your career, mm-hmm. what is it? The two things that held against you. Oh, no experience. Because as I told you, I started working for the city of Chicago in 1980, the summer of 1982. So I have on my resume employment from the city of Chicago mm. from 1982 through 1989. And while that's on my resume, I still got education. Get my bachelor's degree, get my master's degree. No holes in my resume. And on my, so I got my master's degree and on that, I actually made the national dean's list in grad school. That Mm. means that you are the point zero 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 one percent top students (laughs) in the country that year. So I got that on my resume. No holes in my resume. So I say that all to say, you ask, how do I navigate? That navigation comes with the arrogance that comes with me. Like, I ain't got no holes in my resume. Mm-hmm. That's back on that Kanye Chicago shit. Like, y'all niggas yeah. tell me shit. Right. That's right. how you're able to walk through all this other shit to go through. Because in your mind, that arrogance, that arrogance that my mother always told me every black man needs to have in this country. Because if you ain't got that, if, you, if you're a black man in this country without arrogance, you ain't shit. Yeah. Bam. You gotta be over arrogant, but you need, we have to, that's that's a survival mechanism for us. Mechanism for us, okay. 
It's part of our strength. We have to have that because the way we get beat down in this yep. country and told we ain't shit. The only way yep. you're going to fight that is having some type of self-arrogance to yep. not even listen to I ain't shit. And my way of not listening to this society and this country reminding me every day that I ain't shit. Right. The same country that constitutionally told me I'm only three-fifths of a human being. Yeah. Is to not have any fucking holes in my resume. Like, look at that shit. Look what I did. I applied that to the professional side of things. So to mm. answer your question, that's how I'm able to flow. That's how I'm able to get mm. through all of it. Because I know what I come from. I know what we've been through. Dude, ain't no holes here. Ain't no holes here. Because you did everything you could do to the best of your ability. Mm. And there, there, I, there's not one thing I look back on and say, damn, I could have done that. Because mm. everything came from inside here. Everything. And that stops anybody or anything throwing something on me or throwing something at me that I'm going to let affect me in a way that I think differently about where I am at that point in my life. Wait. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. basically what it is. And, and I, I say all that to say that it can be reduced to one word, and I've always used it, it's unapologetic. Mm-hmm. If you are in a position as a black person to walk through this space unapologetically, then none mm-hmm. of that what you ask Williams is going to bother Absolutely. And, but Absolutely. We, live in, we live in a place that wants that makes us feel that we have to apologize. Yeah. And and like, why? you don't have touch, to touch 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 on that a little bit because I man, I wholeheartedly agree with, with you on that because you see so many cases where even when folks are pulled over, they gotta explain why they in a certain location or they had a certain event <laughs> or that stuff just it bothers me, you know. I still think we live in a place where we are conditioned to think that white people's water is wetter. And that's really what it boils down to. Everything in this country is built upon their way of life as being what's normal. Everything else from everybody else is abnormal. It's abnormal. Hmm. So once again, it goes back to the section of life. If this is done a certain way, um, okay, well, we're not comfortable adjusting to that as white America. Well, I'm not used to that. Well, I'm not used to that. Well, I'm not used to it. Well, you're like, well, get used to it. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> I'll put it this way. And I just got through an interview with the, uh, 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 organization in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Let's Do Better. It's, it's a foundational organization, three brothers uh, out in New York, and they're telling our story as black folks unapologetically through product, through hats, gear, hoodies, all this stuff. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really dope. Anyway, they have a baseball fit cap that they have, and on the side of the cap is a red, green, and black flag, African-American flag mm-hmm. on their cap. Mm-hmm. So they have a Yankees cap, a Dodgers cap and a White Sox cap. And all the caps have that flag on the side of it. And we were talking and I asked them in the interview, I said, how do white people feel wearing that hat? And they were like, interesting you ask because they like, we got a lot of white friends that feel like they said, we don't feel we can wear this hat because we don't represent, you know, we don't come from that. We, we You know, we don't, represent that. It feels uncomfortable. We feel wrong wearing that. Right. And his response was exactly what I'm saying. Well, how the fuck do you think we feel wearing that flag? The regular flag on our hat. <laughs> you all wearing that flag is normal. It's normal. <laughs> you know, way about That's normal. Everybody does that. But when right. it comes to doing something with us, when it's abnormal to you all, it's just abnormal. Right. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Dealing unapologetically is wearing a cap with the red, green, and black flag on it and not feeling you have to apologize or explain or act like it's not normal. Right. Like y'all don't like y'all don't know this exists. Well, if you don't know this is fine, but don't make me feel abnormal for it because it's not normal for you. But what your normal is should be normal for me. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, hey. You know what? Um, I can't go to a game and sing the Black National Anthem because I don't know it. 
But if I go to a game and don't sing the national anthem, I'm wrong. You wrong, right? It shouldn't be that way because yep. the black national anthem is normal to me. Mm-hmm. Don't make me feel like it's abnormal. You mm-hmm. should feel abnormal <laughs> for not having it in your life. In and, that goes, life. <laughs> and, that, and that goes to like walking through life being unapologetic. It goes back to like be writing for ESPN or writing for anybody, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll, you know, ESPN and, and dealing with editors. And like, I'll make a music reference and let's go back to the OJs and stay mm-hmm. away to heaven. Well, I'll use a musical reference where I mentioned the OJs stay away to heaven. And they're like, well, our audience is not going to know, you know, who that is. Can you say um, Led Zeppelin stay away to heaven? No. Just because they don't, why can't they know? What's wrong with them knowing that somebody else? Right. You know, stay away to heaven and in and, and, and our, our community, much as we love Led Zeppelin and that stay away to heaven is great. This is our preference. Yeah. Why should I change? Why should my preference dealing with my people and what I come from be abnormal? Mm. And I should not feel that way, so no, I'm not gonna change. You know what I'm saying? But that's what that that's if that helps answer your question about what I'm talking Absolutely. about. Abnormal. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's what I'm we should we shouldn't have to acquiesce in Stephen A's words. We shouldn't acquiesce to their side to normalize who we are. Who and we, we should are. run from who we are to yeah. have to feel normal in the spaces that we can exist in that aren't all black. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where that comes from. You do have to have a certain groundedness yes. in order to be that way because living in this country it's going to condition you to think differently. Hey, hey Scoop, it's, it's so funny you said it like that because that was my way of thinking when I, when I first saw Isaiah Thomas and I first knew he was from Chicago and from the West Side. I said to myself, damn, if he can do it, I can do it. I was like, but the first thing I got to do is, shit, I got to survive the hood. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got to come out every day and, and make sure that I get back home safe to even try to attempt what Isaiah did. Exactly. Exactly. And the beauty of that is, while you didn't become Isaiah Thomas, you don't get to have your life without yep. thinking that way. You have to think that way early. And yep. here's the other yep. part of that. It's not just you, but it's Isaiah Thomas and you that if Derrick Rose doesn't see the tour you all, Derrick yeah. Rose never gets through the same fight. And yeah. become who he becomes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a trickle-down effect, but it's there for us. Yeah. We have in our history, right in front of us, what we are able to survive, what we're able to put up with, what we're able mm-hmm. to fight is we're able to fight through. It's right there. So me, I've never, ever, ever, ever lost sight of that. Like, that's some mm. everyday shit with me. That's not a, like, oh, I feel this way because I'm going through a certain thing and I'm going to, like, reattach that. no. I still go through every day like that. It's it's really to answer your question, allow um, me to function in a way that I, I I never feel that I've sacrificed anything from an integrity standpoint. One of the things, man, I've always appreciated about you was that your integrity, your honesty, but most importantly, man. You always stood on your calls. You never shied away yep. from your calls. And that was and the principle behind it. You know, even like talking with you today, you know, if anybody hit this interview and they come away with something more than what they think they're hearing, yeah. then that's them fishing for something that because the truth is the truth. You, you, you're speaking to yeah. the level that really that all of our folks need to hear from that. I like how you, you even phrase it. What more can you do to me? Yeah. I got examples before me to help me navigate. Well, I've, I've seen you treat my, my older brother this way. So guess what? I know what to do now, how to handle that situation. Right. Now, to me, the unfortunate part, and I think this is what you was getting to, was that we still at that space. That- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all, 
look, man, we're always going to be in that space, in this space. In this space, we're always going to be in this space because it's not as much as it is dealing with color, it's dealing with power. Yes. Mm -hmm. now, now, now the power is connected to color, but, you know, the one thing we have to understand, and we're different people, you know, I, I think it's not just the color of our skins that make us different. I think the who we are as human beings are different. Are different, um, yeah. And we, we, we as black people, I do believe, for part of the reason for what we've been through and how we had to stick together, we live with a different sense of generosity when it comes to each other. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I, I think I think we give differently. Yeah. You know, and it part partially because we know what it's like to not be given anything, mm -hmm. and we understand the power of giving and how giving is necessary. Yeah. And it also goes that you know we're not relinquishing power when we give. But we're dealing in a society, and that's why I say color is kind of connected to it. With sharing power comes a relinquishing of power. Yeah. And if you ask most other races, would you like to switch places and have that? Most people would say yes, and most people would do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Like if we were in control and in charge the way white people are in this country, would we want to give up power as well? I think because of who we are, we might be more open to doing that. But in order to have that power, we never would have gone through what we went through. And even right. if there is a land, if there's a seismic shift four or five generations from now, where mm -hmm. there is true equality, or the power shift comes and somebody outside of, outside of white males mm -hmm. is running things, that same mentality of power, once you get it, it's, it's going to be hard to go up against. It's, it's like mm. winning the championship. You don't want to not win another one. <laughs> right. Once you get it, you get greedy because that's your that, that becomes your level of power now. Mm -hmm. And if I can run this league, I want to run this league. If I can run this organization, I want to run this organization. If I can run this society, I want to run this society. So my thing with us is that we, as Black people, have to understand that even though a lot of things that happen to us directly related to the color of our skin, mm -hmm. but more of it has to do with the power that they have that they're not willing to relinquish. Mm. That comes with sharing. It just simple comes with sharing. Mm. And the first way you do not share with anybody is to make certain people feel less than you are. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we're dealing with. So my thing is that knowing what we've been through and how long this fight has been, you know, since 1619, how long this fight has been, that 402 years. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Since we stepped here in Virginia, yep. that the end result that we wish for and hope for and probably too often pray for is not going to come anytime soon. When you hope for something for 400 years, it's not going to come in 10. Right. right. It's not going to yep. come in 30. Now... Yep. You'll see progressions, but the end result that you're looking for is not going to come, but that never stops you from fighting. Right. Because if you think it's bad for you now, you have no idea how bad it could be if we didn't put up 400 years of that fight. You have to keep doing that. Yeah. So my thing with us, and, and I will we'll say this, I just want to make clear that what we're saying, when I say me, I don't mean me, I mean us. Like right. We're speaking about all of us, not just me. This isn't personal. This is when I say me, I'm speaking speaking. Absolutely. Right. So what they have done to me, what they have done to us has been done before, but we have to understand it's always gonna be a fight. We cannot look for an end result. And yep. if we understand at some point, at this pace, we still have to put up with that fight because it gets a lot worse once we give up the fight. And we can never give yes. up that fight. Never. So as never. black people, we have to stop looking for this type of change. You got some books out there that, that is just phenomenal books. The Dark Side, really what we've been talking about, Chronicling, you know, The Young Black Experience, you know, The Last Black Mecca, 
true to the game, I really wanted to ask you from this perspective, how did you think the books you wrote, particularly those three books, how would it work in today's time if you have written them now? That's a good question. Because I, I thought about, I actually thought about, I put on paper, I thought about doing um The Last Black Mecca uh, Part 2. Mm. Um, but I have to take a deep dive because the reason I wrote Black Last Black Mecca first, because at the time, it was 1990, um, and I really did believe that hip-hop had reached a point that from a creative standpoint, as far as our Black diaspora in this country, that was going to be the last art form that we were going mm. to lend to this country that mm. was going to have this type of power. I didn't see... I, at the time, I'm like, I don't know where else it's going to come from. Because hip-hop was so different. It was so new. It came from such an authentic place. And it was so, once again, unapologetic about being something that came from us. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is the last Black Mecca. This is the last contribution we are going to make that is going to have this <laughs> type of impact on this country. Now, I did not see our impact in film coming and shaping itself to the way it is right now. Mm. There can be an argument, if I did The Last Black Mecca again, it could be about film. You know, yeah. from the role that Oscar Michaud uh, to uh, Julie Dash to, uh, um, you know, Melvin Peoples to Spike Lee played in shaping what we're looking at now as black film. So we're looking at the Ava DuVornay's. We're looking at the Ryan Coogler's. You know, we're looking at the David Lee's. You know, we're looking at you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, all, all these young filmmakers and what they're doing, specifically telling black stories and not even telling black stories, just in film. In film, and yeah. how powerful that has become from, from a creative standpoint, where if I did that book right now, it probably would be about film or, which I think is the next black method, is fashion. Like the role, and a lot of that, you know, some of it has to do with Virgil and what the role he's played over the speech, especially the last five years. And Kanye, that's credited at being at the forefront. But if you're looking from a design standpoint, the role black design, and Michelle Obama gets a lot of credit for this too. You know, mm. but if you look at the role and the impact black design has had in fashion over the last 10 years, I could write a book about the exact same thing. Like if I was going to do it now, those books would, be, I could write the same things, but about the subject matter would be different. Same title. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like the the now black Mecca and the next black Mecca, as opposed to the last one, you know what I'm saying? But it will be about film and fashion because I did not in 1990 see those avenues being outlets for where we can express ourselves and build empires mm. that we can claim. It's interesting that you say that though, because particularly in the nineties, you had FUBU and, 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 uh, who's the other AG, uh, Carl Kanai. They were first before Fubu. Yeah, but look at it this way. We're talking about three, and, and if you really get down to it, I think Willie Ware was around, so Willie Smith was running his thing, but it was on a small level, I think. But you look mm -hmm. at what came from that, though. And you really, I'll put it to you this way. Back in the 90s, we probably had three to five Black-owned fashion uh, properties. GQ just did an article Last month, they said the 72 black designers and companies you need to be paying attention to. 72. Damn. Damn. Right, you know what I'm saying? Wow. So that's, and that's the one, that, those are the ones they just said you need to pay attention to. Right, right. So the game has shifted in a way, and it's going from the high end to the low end, you know, to who's running some of these places where you, you know, you look at a, Kirby Jean and his relationship with Gucci and their fashion house to what Virgil's doing over right, at Louis right. Vuitton, you know, to what you get collaborations where you get like Huron Preston doing stuff with uh, 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 Calvin Klein, you know, um, you know, just just all across the board where you're seeing black impact and implementation in the fashion world from the high to the low, low of independence, you know, independent mm -hmm. clothes makers that, that are still making Dense in fashion, you right. know. Hey, look, all boy fashion geek. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, this is still mm -hmm. some, it's still some black shit and the impact that we're having that I didn't see back then, and how much has grown from the cross colors to the Carl Canais, you know, and the Fubus. Pelly Pelly, 
and yeah, the Pelly Pellies and the Averexes and all that, you know, all the stuff back then, and, and the Tony Shellmans who was doing this thing with Mecca back in the day, you know, mm-hmm. when they were all, and, yeah. and the Get Paid, you know, Paul and Mike, you know, all that stuff from back in the days, black folks doing their thing from a fast step point to where it's going at now. Where it's way beyond just streetwear, where it's way beyond just hood gear, where like we are playing major roles, major, yeah. major roles in the direction fashion is going. Yeah. That could be a mecca within itself. So to answer your question, so if I could write those books now, that book would be different. Same, mm. same concept, different subject matter, though. Different I take the same matter. energy, the same structure, the way I broke down hip-hop and the role that it played mm-hmm. in our community, I could apply it right now, but it wouldn't be in hip-hop. It would be in two other two other subject matters. Um, and, I, you know, what's interesting is the last, the last book I wrote, The Game Is Not a Game, was written through the lens of sports. And what I wrote about three years ago, once the pandemic hit and the Black Lives Matters hit, all came true. So, you know, in, in a way, was able to write something that wound up did coming true to this day and is in existence right now, just mm-hmm. through the sports leaders. Um, But the other books before I even wrote, because that was my first sports book, really. It's outside of the Nike book. But um, dealing through the other lenses where we're dealing with, you know, like I said, our society as, as black things, because right. those books exist now. As far as I'm concerned, man, as long as there's a black story to told, there's a book to be written. This has been an honor, a treat for both of us. First of all, man, the lessons that you just put out today, I want to get them framed and like put them on posters. <laughs> just like, like, like Scoop. One thing you can tell about Scoop, he's straight up from the 90s too, like in terms of like that different world impact. Yeah. Just like (laughs) revolutionary, just like, it's just real. That, that man. Yeah. So like, if it's one interview that I'm going to make sure my kids listen to, man, it is this one here. But man, before we get up out of here, Scoop, my dog, Arthur A.G. got one more question for you. What's the next chapter in Scoop Jackson's Hoop Dream? Okay, you know what? I already have the answer. <laughs> Let's see. I, 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 you know what? I didn't even I didn't even think about it, and it's sitting right here in front of me because oh. it's, about, it's, it's about to happen. And I guess it's going to happen because we agreed to happen. We just haven't like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it isn't official yet. Yeah, but um, it's going to happen, and I don't, you know. I'll throw it out there to the universe and I'll share it with you all. It's not a big deal, but it's a big enough deal, but it's an answer to your question. I'm doing George Gerby's Bible. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Scoop, yeah. Chi-Town legend. Just his next hoop dream chapter. I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic. I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic. See, with time, I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. Know I got it locked from Chicago where the toughest live. Concrete jungle, earn my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison. Your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me. I'm all but going there again. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha AG. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha AG. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Hoop Dreams the Podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Written and produced by Arthur Agee, Will Gates, Matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from Matt Savage. For more episodes, check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com. Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather. Ice in my veins, no need for a warm sweater. I'm coming forward, all best believe I won't let up, yeah. Hey, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me.
Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.